Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Those are hard words. Those are words we want spoken to those who hurt us. But today, God speaks them to us. May the Holy Spirit open our ears and our hearts to hear them and grow from them and produce the fruit the Lord desires from them. Amen. You may be seated. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, this morning we heard Jesus' parable of the fig tree telling us to repent and bear good fruit. We know what the Christian life requires of us. And yet, if we are truly honest with ourselves, we also know just how far we fall short. And so the question that confronts us this morning is, yes, but how? Jesus says, repent. Repent. Acknowledge your sinfulness. That's the first step to live the Christian life. And that's a necessary step because we realize that none of us are, are without fault. None of us are without sin. Luther even builds on this truth, saying that our entire lives as Christians is to be one of repentance. Yes, but how? You know, worldly wisdom knows better than to openly admit our wrongs, right? I mean, who goes into a job interview and says, you know, I have to tell you, I have a habit of missing work, of criticizing my supervisors and others, and I don't always give my best effort. Or who goes on a first date and says, you know, listen, I have to tell you, I can be very difficult to be around. I can be a bit of a nag and a real bore sometimes. How ironic, then, that Jesus tells us to repent. Instead of offering a word of support and understanding for our all-too-human tendency to cover up our wrongdoings, Jesus tells us to disclose the evil within us. To admit that we have failed, admit that we have sinned and fallen short. The Apostle John tells us the same thing very clearly when he writes, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So whoever we are, whatever we do, we all share one thing in common, and that's that we are sinful. But the good news today is that there is hope. There is hope because Jesus loves us. He loves all his trees. Those who produce a lot of fruit, those who produce a little fruit, and those who produce no fruit. In fact, notice that those who produce no fruit, he provides extra attention to. That they might become fruitful and produce the fruits of faith the fruits of good works and love. For he wants no one to be chopped down. He wants no one to perish. So much so that he became the tree that was chopped down in our place. 
Jesus died so that we would have a resurrection. For so God had promised. For before, when the world was filled with evil, God destroyed the world, saving the only good and faithful tree, only Noah and his family. But now, instead of destroying the world, the Father sent his Son to drown in the depth of our sin in our place. The only good and faithful tree was chopped down to save the world by the forgiveness of sin, to save us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That we might not just die, but die with him. And if we die with him, we know that we also rise to new and eternal life with him. And so, yes, there is hope. There is hope for, as St. Paul said in our epistle text, God is faithful. Faithful, for he keeps all of his promises for you. Faithful, for as he warns us that let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall, that he is here for those who have fallen. He is here for those who fall to raise us up again through the forgiveness of our sin. And so with that promise, we repent. Imperfect as our repentance may be. Because to repent is to turn to the Lord, to be the Lord's, to look to the Lord, to rely on the Lord, and to expect good from the Lord. To repent is the very opposite of grumbling and complaining. For really, when you think about it, to repent is the ultimate praise. Because when we repent, we not only confess who we are, but we also confess the one who has no sin. The one who has promised to forgive and who has sealed that promise in his very own blood. And so all this takes us back to the question of the life of repentance. Jesus, in our gospel text, made a call for repentance after a sudden and unfair tragedy. The people who lost their lives weren't hurting anybody. They were just minding their own business, and they were cut down in cold blood. It was awful. It was a tragedy. And so they come to Jesus. Perhaps they wanted to know why. Why did this happen? Perhaps they wanted Jesus to denounce Pilate and the Roman brutality. Perhaps they wanted to know that God was on their side. An affirmation that they were right, and Pilate and the Romans, that they were wrong. But we see that Jesus did not respond as they expected. Instead, he tells them, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. It's kind of amazing that he wasn't attacked on the spot. The people must have been thinking something like, for after all that we Jews have suffered, how dare you, Jesus? How dare you inflict more wounds on us by your criticism, by telling us to repent? What about Pilate, huh? Tell him to repent. But no, Jesus says repent, lest you all likewise perish. That is a very hard word of God. 
just for the people back then, but also for us here today. Imagine speaking those words today. Imagine, for example, after 9-11, if Billy Graham had stood up in the National Cathedral and said to the president and all the people gathered there and all the people watching on, on television, that unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Chances are he would have been run out of the pulpit. An unrelenting media and a hurting public would cry out, how dare you? After all we've suffered telling us to repent, what about the terrorists? Tell them to repent. Yes, to speak that way is dangerous. Just ask Ezekiel, Jeremiah, or really any of the prophets. Such talk makes it sound as if we deserve to have such suffering and tragedies befall us. But listen, that is not the point Jesus is making here. Rather, Jesus wants us to understand that we are a fallen and sinful people, living in a fallen and sinful world, and that these fallen and sinful things happen to and affect us all. These things happen to good people and bad people, to rich and poor, young and old, to people of all religions and nationalities. For as Romans 3.23 tells us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all means all. And there is a far worse disaster awaiting those who fall short of the glory of God, an eternal disaster. And so we're not to look to ourselves or to others for an answer or a reason, who's a worse sinner or not. Jesus is clear, that is not the answer. If we do, we'll only be fooling and deceiving ourselves. Rather, we are to turn to Jesus. We turn to our Lord and Savior and repent and take refuge in Him. Because only He can deliver us from this fallen and sinful world, and also the fallenness and sinfulness that is at work in each and every one of us. And so when you look at it that way, we see that repentance is not a bad thing. It actually is a very good thing. It's the language of the Christian. It's the language of the Christian that acknowledges our sin, acknowledges the love and mercy of God, and acknowledges that he is our only refuge and strength in times of trouble. Because to repent is to turn away from ourselves. That what we see and what we feel, what we want, to turn away from that and to turn to our Savior for what is true, for what we really need. It is to die to ourselves and to find our life in him. It is to not put our trust in people and things of this world that crumble and fall and fail us, but to put our trust in the one who cannot fail. And so when disasters strike, when we are shaken and vulnerable, it's a reminder to us that perhaps we've been trusting the wrong things. That not they, but we need to repent. And so repent. Jesus says. For that's the first step in the Christian life. 
confess your sins before God and receive his forgiveness. Again, in that sense, confession is good for the soul. True confession, not the, the kind of simple admission that says, sure, I've sinned, who hasn't? But confession is good for the soul. But how can we do that? How can we develop a true sense of heartfelt remorse for our sinfulness and a desire to change our ways? Because most of us are willing to confess our sins as long as we don't have to change. We're willing to admit a blemish or two on our moral complexion, but nothing that can't be cosmetically covered up with a coating of good manners. None of us wants to admit that our sinfulness may require reconstructive surgery. After all, we like to think that God is happy with us just the way we are. And that he really only wants us to make us happy with ourselves. But Jesus is not demanding anything that we cannot produce. Notice he doesn't ask the fig tree to produce bananas. When we repent of our sinfulness and receive God's forgiveness, God releases us from the power of sin. And only when we are free from sin do we have the hope to become who God has redeemed us to be. Children of God. Young and old. Each able to produce the fruits of faith. That right there is the key to our dilemma. The answer to our question, yes, but how? How do we live the life of faith that we are called to live as followers of Christ? The key to living the life worthy of our calling as children of God is to remember that God has already set us free. In Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection, we are set free to bear his fruit of repentance. Free to be who God has redeemed us, bought us back to be. And so repent. Repent, live, bear fruit. How? In Christ. That's how. Amen. At this time, please stand for the prayer of the church.